the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy November 13th, 2020. The new call from everyone, it seems, is unity. Time to unite. Time to end the division. Oh, okay. After four years of not my president and illegitimate president from Hillary Clinton and Jimmy Carter and impeachment and a bloodlust for this president, say the joy or laugh taken in depicting his death or ill health. Kathy prevents Sean Penn to a Shakespeare in the Park play to others. It's been with us for a long time now, it seems. Trump is not alone. It was done in a movie to George W. Bush when he was president, too. We've seen tweets from former Hillary Clinton spokespeople saying they wished him de- Trump dead. We've had professors proclaiming, though they were atheists, they took it as a sign from God whenever the president was sick. Unity, time to unite, end division. That call only comes when the left is on the cusp of power. Nothing to protest anymore, nothing to disagree with anymore. Come on now, we aren't supposed to be enemies, but Americans. Where was that over the past four years, by the way? As I quoted Hillary Clinton, quote, You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again, close quote. By the way, notice the Republican Party wants to destroy what the Democrats stood or stand for, not oppose to Hillary Clinton. It's that we want to destroy. But now, thinking they have the White House, anyone not on board is being recalcitrant, obstructive, disunifying. Oppose Obamacare? Joe Biden this week said that is the view of, quote, far-right ideologues, close quote. That is, so far as I know, almost every Republican. So every Republican is a far-right ideologue, not, as he said, just an American who has opposing views. But who are the great dividers in America after all? Who are the disuniters? If you wondered why Barack Obama, so silent for the past four years, is all of a sudden back in the news, I don't think it was to help Joe Biden. After all, he endorsed him late and let it be known by leaking to others that Joe was not his guy. But I think now we see why Mr. Obama is back in the news. He has a new major book. His autobiography is coming out. Excerpts are being released here and there, and the one this morning has Mr. Obama writing this, quote, millions of Americans were spooked by a black man in the White House, close quote, and Donald Trump was, quote, an elixir to, to their racial anxiety, close quote. This reminded me of what Man Jones said on CNN the night of the election four years ago, that it was a white lash. Now, how in the world can one say millions of Americans were spooked by a black man in the White House because Donald Trump was elected president? I don't actually recall a black person as an option for the presidency in 2016, unless one looked to the primaries where Ben Carson ran for the presidency. But that was in the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party. 
and Donald Trump put him in his cabinet. What could Barack Obama then possibly mean or claim to know that millions of Americans were spooked by a black man in the White House? Was there some amendment to the Constitution I didn't see that allowed Barack Obama to run for a third term, but for the racists supporting Donald Trump prevented it? I think what we're seeing is what we've spoken about before, and it is compounded by what Barack Obama wrote in his book, Excerpted in the Atlantic, this week. Barack Obama was not sure, he said, or wrote, about the myth of America. He said whether we were a great country in tune with our lofty founding rhetoric, the jury was still out on that. We'll come back to that. But then he wrote this, quote, He will know when we see if we can do what no other nation has ever done, to see if we can actually live up to the meaning of our creed. The jury's still out. I'm encouraged by the record-setting number of Americans who turned out to vote and have an abiding trust in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in their character and capacity to do what is right, close quote. So again, America's greatness and commitment to the truth of its founding is based on whether we vote for a Democrat or not. So what we are seeing is a total amnesia of that which Barack Obama used to say and stand for. No red America, no blue America. That's what he used to say. Red Americans living in blue states, blue Americans living in red states. That's what he used to talk about. Total amnesia over nearly all white states like Iowa, twice voting him in for president. Total amnesia over hundreds of counties that voted for him and also for Donald Trump, as if they only realized Barack Obama was a black man in 2016, but not in 2008 or 2012. And of course, the real kick in the philosophical teeth, that the only way to show your commitment to our founding and non-racist principles is to vote Democrat. Joe Biden already showed us he believed that when he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. I had not thought Barack Obama believed it, too. Not at least in a way he was willing to say, as he now does in his new autobiography. This is frightening stuff to me. The notion that skin color determines thought. There have been regimes in our history that were based on that, and I thought their philosophical justifications were put to permanent rest at Nuremberg. I was wrong. Thus, evidently, Ben Carson and Tim Scott and Larry Elder and Candace Owens and millions of other black Americans who vote Republican or supported Donald Trump are either racist or, quote-unquote, not black, as are 73 million other Americans who are either racist or disconnected from and non-believers in the rhetoric and promises of our founding because they voted for Donald Trump. Unless you vote for the Democrat, you are a racist or anti-American. But unite, we are told, after all, for we are all Americans, Joe Biden tells us. It doesn't parse and it doesn't wash. This is the most hypercharged form of enforced political consent I have ever seen. Vote Republican, you hate America, or you hate black people. I don't know why you say or do, I don't know what you say or do about the Democrat running for Senate in Georgia against Kelly Loeffler. His name is Raphael Warnock. He praised Jeremiah Wright for saying GD America and America had it coming on 9-11. He put it this way back then, quote, We celebrate Reverend Wright in the same way that we celebrate the truth-telling tradition of the black church, which when preachers tell the truth very often makes people uncomfortable, close quote. So Jeremiah Wright was speaking the truth. Now then, Mr. Obama, you ultimately denounced Jeremiah Wright. You did it late. And I think for political experience, but you did do it. 
Would a vote for someone who thinks that Jeremiah Wright said about America is true, namely Mr. Warnock, would a vote for him help diminish or expand upon and improve America's commitment to racial justice? We know the answer already, sort of. It's not the color of skin that matters when you are a Republican. We did not, after all, see Barack Obama campaigning for Tim Scott or Ben Carson, and he never will. It's that the color of skin mandates you vote Democrat, and people like Scott and Carson are, as Biden put it, simply voting or ideological betrayers of their race. After all, how else is it okay to see a Democratic governor escape penalty and critique having dressed in a KKK costume, or for Robert Byrd to have been a hero to the Democrats and the Democratic Party leader in the Senate? Barry Goldwater could desegregate Phoenix Sky Harbor and help found the NAACP in Arizona, but nonetheless he was of a sudden preaching the politics of Mein Kampf when he ran for president, as the San Francisco mayor put it back then and as so many other columnists would echo. I think the Democrats are scared. I do. One usually runs to race and racialism and scapegoating out of fear or paranoia. The idea that Republicans are the enemies of equal rights and civil rights was always a myth. But it was and has been used to a fairly well by the left. Let's go back to the 1964 landmark, landmark Civil Rights Act, shall we? The United the United States Senate had 65 Democrats and 33 Republicans that year, 65-33. The legislation passed 73 to 27. 27 Republicans voted for it, 21 Democrats voted against it. That is to say, 82% of the Republicans voted for it. By contrast, 70% of the Democrats did. Put it another way, 18% of the Republicans voted against it, 32% of the Democrats voted against it. A higher percentage of Republicans than Democrats voted for the Civil Rights Act that Martin, Luther, that Martin Luther King put all his energy toward, and a higher percentage of Democrats than Republicans voted against the Civil Rights Act that Martin Luther King put all his energy toward. Now let's talk heroes, or anti-heroes. Some of the Democrats who voted against that Civil Rights Act were Sam Irvin, the star of the Watergate hearings, J. William Fulbright, his name is on an awful lot of student loans, and he was a mentor to Bill Clinton, Robert Byrd, the constitutional authority of the Senate and the majority leader, Albert Gore, father of the former vice president. But of course, we Republicans, and voting for we Republicans, is to actively not live up to the meaning of our creed, according to what Barack Obama writes in his autobiography. Having mentioned invoked America's creed, I often wonder if Barack Obama actually knows it. There is one, after all, and it reads this way, quote, I believe in the United States of America as a government of the people, by the people, for the people, whose just powers are derived from the consent of the governed. A democracy in a republic, a sovereign nation of many sovereign states, a perfect union, one and inseparable, established upon those principles of freedom, equality, justice, and humanity for which American patriots sacrificed their lives and fortunes. I therefore believe it is my duty to my country to love it, to support its constitution, to obey its laws, to respect its flag, and to defend it against all enemies. Close quote. That's the American creed. That first sentence comes from a Republican president. The second clause is from the Declaration of Independence the notion of a perfect union from our Constitution. 
Nothing in it says or appends it to say, if you vote Democrat or if you don't vote Republican. So maybe, just maybe, with all these claims to unity and requests for peace, calm, and all of us getting along, Joe Biden and Barack Obama and their minions ought to take a beat to stop berating half the country that doesn't agree with them on policy and quit lecturing us about who the racists are. To remind, 26% of non-white voters cast their ballots for President Trump, a 25% increase from 2016, which means Trump's support from the black and Latino community has gotten stronger, despite the nonstop cries of racism by virtually every mainstream media outlet. As National Review reporter, Trump doubled support with black women, dramatically increased support with black men by 20 percent, from 13 percent in 2016 to 18 percent in 2020. In the Midwest, one in three black men voted for Donald Trump. The race game is old. It's ugly. And it's truly the most divisive thing in America. And I would have thought it was over a long time ago. But why let a good war go to waste? Thing is, it's not we Republicans who want this race war. We say, with what the left used to say in simpler times, we don't want your war. We were at peace on it long before you. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That's great. That's the new single released today by, gosh, bless them, ACDC. Is that shot in the dark? Fantastic. Brian Johnson singing his heart out at the age of 73. Angus Young singing, well, playing his heart out, I should say, at the age of 65. God love those guys, right? First album in at least a decade, right? You can about six years, not at least a decade. <laughs> okay. First album in six years. That's great. That's great. When rock and roll keeps you young like that and keeps us old, they haven't lost the sound. I mean, that's a sound. You know that's ACDC even before you get to the lyrics. That's great. Shot in the dark. New album. What's the new album called? Power Up. Why not? Now's a good time to power up. That's a good message for us, too. We conservatives, we Republicans, power up. President gave a press conference. Well, it wasn't a press conference today. He didn't take questions from the press, but he gave a statement today surrounded by a couple members of the administration, Secretary of Health and Human Services and Mike Pence, talking about uh, Operation Warp Speed and its effects. Nothing short of miraculous when you think about the upshot, which is that millions and millions and millions of Americans will be able to get this vaccine that is 90 percent effective against the coronavirus as soon as next month, December, December. Millions upon millions upon millions of Americans will have access to the vaccine as early as next month. Now, the president was talking about a vaccine long before now, and he was saying we can have one by the end of the year. People were doubtful. People were saying he's lying. It's an election ploy. Well, it's the case. It's true. It wasn't a lie. One still wonders a little bit about what Pfizer 
was willing to say and when it was willing to say it. And it was interesting that the president called out rightly, as even Neil Cavuto said, that when the head of Pfizer said they weren't part of Operation Warp Speed, that was incorrect. And they were. They even had a press release on their website saying they were. This was all part of Operation Warp Speed. I um, I had been saying, you know, I had been wrong about a few things, but I had been saying um, that I thought that COVID hysteria would end somewhere around November 4th. And a part of it has, but large parts haven't. The part that has ended is the daily ticker, the constant, continual ticker on cable networks of cases or infections. I guess they call them cases. Cases and deaths. That's ended, at least on some of them. But Boy, I am shocked to see how many elected officials at the state and local levels are willing to go back into shutdown mode. Just a couple common sense questions. If it worked so well the first time, why are cases going up such that they think they need to do it again? Here's Mayor Lori Lightfoot. This is the mayor of Chicago. This is an incredible tweet she sent out. Even if you think this, it seems to me rather, not rather, it seems to me very callous just to put it out this way. And I'll just read it to you verbatim. Okay, I'm not eliminating any verbiage from Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago. Stay home unless for essential reasons. Stop having guests over, including family members you do not live with. Avoid non-essential travel. Cancel traditional Thanksgiving plans. That's the entirety of her tweet. Stay home unless for essential reasons. Stop having guests over, including family members you do not live with. Avoid non-essential travel. Cancel traditional Thanksgiving plans. That's it. Does that not strike you as callous, as overboard? There is so much to this. The weird thing is she's not alone. New York is about to go this way. New York City is about to go this way. They have already said to limit indoor gatherings to no more than 10. What if your family's more than 10? Thanksgiving, cancel traditional Thanksgiving plans. Are you canceling your traditional Thanksgiving plans, Bill? I kind of understand, well, I did before, but I understand all the more er reason for the exigency of what Justice Alito, Samuel Alito, said at the Federalist Society last night. Media is going crazy over it. They should be going crazy over what Mayor Lori Lightfoot said instead. I'll tell you what the Supreme Court Justice I've always thought of as my favorite since 2007 said that the media is having conniptions about. People should have conniptions about those who don't take seriously what he said. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I've told you that I take balance of nature every single day, and I do. I've been doing it for over a year. It has kept my health up. It has boosted my energy. It has boosted my immunity. It is a great product that I commend to you. They have a special cold press process that locks into vegetarian capsules potent great fruits and veggies from blueberries and oranges to broccoli and garlic and kale. Tens of thousands of vital nutrients in just one daily dose. And they have a great deal, too, where they're offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. You get a free counseling health coach along with that, as well as guaranteed wholesale pricing. Call 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code BALANCE. Favorite product. Do want to take your calls. We'll finish out the week with the mood of you, the mood of where you are, thoughts that you have. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. I just want to emphasize that um, something that uh, Justice uh, Samuel Alito said last night uh, to a speech at the Federalist Society, which of course twofold criticisms of it in the Washington Post and elsewhere that it's the Federalist Society as some kind of right-wing cabal of lawyers. It's not what the Federalist Society is. And that uh, Justice Alito should not have uh, been giving a speech. You never saw those articles, ever, when Breyer and Ginsburg gave speeches, or now, as Breyer still gives speeches. The rights, he said, the rights of the free exercise of religion is not the only one's cherished freedom that is failing in the estimation of some segments of the population. Support for freedom of speech is also in danger, and COVID rules have restricted speech in unprecedented ways. As I mentioned, attendance at speeches, lectures, conferences, conventions, rallies, and other similar events have been banned or limited, and some of these restrictions are to have included discrimination based on the viewpoint of the speaker. This is after he detailed his concern, great concern, grave concern, that, quote, religious liberty is in danger of becoming a second-class right. He talked about how the state of Nevada was never able to convincingly justify why casinos could open and churches could not. This is the sort of thing we do see, viewpoint discrimination, I give you again Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago. Cancel traditional Thanksgiving plans. Stay home unless for essential reasons. This was a mayor who joined BLM protests. That's viewpoint discrimination. How about how about this? Do you see that Nancy Pelosi is hosting new member new members of Congress dinners in Washington DC? in large hotel rooms. She is hosting, the Speaker of the House is hosting large gatherings of new members to the House of Representatives. While in her district, in her very district back home in California, exactly those kinds of gatherings, precisely those kinds of gatherings, are forbidden. Forbidden. One rule for the elite and a whole set of other rules for the rest of them. I thought, 
I thought this election would show a much bigger wave of support, shall I say, a convincingly big wave of support for Donald Trump over Joe Biden, just based on Americans tiring of this kind of nonsense, just based on this. Now, the president said in his press conference that the duration of his presidency, there will be no national orders of shutdown or lockdown. It was kind of interesting how he said, I don't know about the next administration. We'll see how that turns out. Kind of corrected himself on that as he said it. But he was obviously giving air to the notion that he may not be the next president of the United States when he said that. But he said for the rest of this administration, there will be no shutdowns or lockdowns. MSNBC and CNN cut away from this speech by the president and the vice president, the secretary of health and human services, and the head of the task force for Operation Warp Speed. They cut away. Now, you want to know why we don't trust them? We don't trust them because they told us COVID was the most important thing in the world. It wasn't. It wasn't. Getting rid of Trump was, and they did it again today while he was getting rid of the problems with COVID. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Give me a call on what you're thinking and feeling. 602-508-0960. That's 602-508-0960. Love to hear from you. Again, because I think too often you're told what you should think. I want to hear what you do think. Bat it around for you and with you and give you a chance to express yourselves. Um, and... Uh, Tell me what your mood is about our politics, our political condition. Check in to see what your condi- what condition your condition is in, if I can quote the late, great Kenny Rogers. Just check in to see what condition your condition is in. I've been warning uh, for some years now about the um, hyper and extraordinary use of superlatives that the left and the Democrats use to describe conservatives and Republicans, whether it's calling us fascists or dictators or Donald Trump illegitimate or Hitler. You'll recall I even made fun of or sport of when Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Nadler, two years ago now, said that we were in a constitutional crisis. And then they didn't get enough traffic with that. So they spoke of the president as an existential threat to the Constitution. Joe Biden, during the campaign, called him an existential threat to the Constitution and the country. And I just thought, my gosh, where do you go from here? Once... You unload and unleash your toughest rhetoric, your strongest superlatives used for political opposition and criticism when you know they're not true, even. But when you use them, when you unleash them, when you unload that fuselage, where do you go? And when will you... Stop being believed. How many times can you go to that well? 
So today, gosh, there's not a day Barack Obama isn't in the news now. Do you remember ever in the last four years seeing Barack Obama in the news over the course of the last four years as much as he has been in the last four days? He, he hasn't been. It's about this book. He's trying to become relevant again because of the book. <laughs> and I think he knows he wants to be relevant again because in his mind, it's very likely Joe Biden will be the most relevant Democrat soon. But when he said today, as he did say today, that Donald Trump's campaign and Donald Trump's challenging of some of these election results is a threat to democracy and is a threat to the undermining of democracy, which is what he said. How are we to accept this, believe this, take it seriously, when we've lived for four years with the same exact kind of talk? In fact, it's more moderate than existential threat to the Constitution and country. It's more moderate than already in a constitutional crisis, as Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Nadler put it. How are we to how are we to believe this? Because we know that they just use these things all the time. Superlatives are no longer superlatives if they're just part and parcel of ordinary parlance, if that's just where you go every time. You know, it would have been hugely newsworthy once upon a time not so long ago if a member of Congress condemned a president as a racist on the floor of the House or called the president a tyrant in front of the steps of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. This happened on a routine basis over the last four years. I have in mind examples of Nancy Pelosi and Ilhan Omar, but others did it as well. Would have been big news. You know, imagine a Tip O'Neill or a, I don't know, pick your favorite Democrat from the 80s or 90s or even 2000s saying those things about Ronald Reagan. Not 2000s, but Ronald Reagan, 80s and 90s. Or George H.W. Bush. It would have been huge news. Oh, the editorialists used that kind of language. And in an election year, you saw something closer to that kind of language. But during the course of the presidency, it didn't make that much as much news here because it just became so common, so common and so commonly untrue. We just accepted it as if these words didn't mean anything anymore, as if fascist didn't mean anything more anymore, as if racist didn't mean anything anymore, as if tyrant didn't mean anything anymore, because they so vitiated and watered the use of those words, the meaning of those words down. The problem is there are racists in the world and there are tyrants in the world. That's the problem. And the language we would use to actually describe them has now been robbed from us in many philosophical senses. For if, if, a, if, a, if a major terrorist or tyrant on the scene needs to be described and they're just described the same way you would describe an American president who has not tyrannized our communities and who has not 
exercised racist policies, indeed received more of the minority vote than any Republican in over 50 years. How do we go about our business? How do we go about our business of calling things by their proper names and summoning up American spirit, know-how, knowledge, confidence when we need to? We have tyrants to fight. We have fascists to fight, whether economically, whether on occasion militarily, whether in other non-kinetic ways. But how do you describe them? How do you how do you summon the national will to get behind those policies when they are no worse than the president of the United States who gave us when it came to minority communities nothing but more opportunity and less unemployment and more more um, amnesty from unfair sentences. How do you do that? And how do you exercise the will of the American people to your side if you are a Democrat and you're Barack Obama by saying what Donald Trump is doing now is a threat to democracy when we've already lived through four years of what they called constitutional crisis and existential threat to the Constitution when it wasn't. And how do you expect us to believe you when it turns out all these same phrases that you've used were just untrue and unreal and unmarked in our lives? I don't think you can. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. The show is yours here on out. I want to hear from you what you're thinking and uh, how you're feeling about uh, our politics and our culture right now. Uh, I, I really have been very valuably impressed and educated, I think, from doing so much of that earlier and throughout the week when the media is hell-bent on telling you what you should think. I just want to hear what you do think. I think, by the way, that's part of the problem here. I think that's a big part of our problem, is the media is so self-satisfied with their knowledge that they believe everyone else thinks the way they do. They believe that if they don't think the way they do, they must, they should be forced to think the way they do. Um, you sh- you would be amazed to hear what happened on CNN with Christian Amanpour opening a segment today. Listen to this. Do I have time for it, Bill? Listen to how she opened a show today. Welcome to the program, everyone. I'm Christian Amanpour in London. This week, 82 years ago, Kristallnacht happened. It was the Nazis' warning shot across the bow of our human civilization that led to genocide against a whole identity. And in that tower of burning books, it led to an attack on fact, knowledge, history, and truth. After four years of a modern-day assault on those same values by Donald Trump, wow. the Biden-Harris team wow. pledges a return wow. to Wow. Can anyone give me an example, please? Never mind the extreme here. 
four years of Donald Trump has been akin to Kristallnacht. Can anyone give me an example of what she used as an example? Burning books? Who's been burning books in our society over the last four years? Well, Target stopped the distribution of Abigail Schreier's book earlier this week on transgender, only to now self-correct and state that they made a mistake. They didn't make a mistake. They got pushback. They got pushback when they took it off their shelves or took it off their took it out of their stores. And I can give you a hundred of examples of leftists effectively having their books, excuse me, of conservatives effectively having their books and speeches burned, canceled, censored. What is she talking about? So there's a case of her not thinking you think what she does, but of her wanting you to think as she does. 602-508-0960. Give me your thoughts. 602-508-0960. This is your show. Here on out.